Hello there. Welcome to the Oblivious Maximus podcast for another week. It's been a couple of weeks since I put one up. Apologies. Real life has been busy. You know how that is. You've all got real lives. You're probably going to them now while you're listening to this. Regardless, this week, my guest is Dan McKay from The Nation Blue. Um, we recorded this podcast a couple of weeks ago leading up to uh, the release of their two albums, Black and Blue, uh, coming out on Poison City Records on the 14th of October, I believe, so very soon. Um, and just to chat about, you know, The Nation Blue and the record and all that sort of stuff and sort of get the lowdown from them. I've talked to Matt Weston from The Nation Blue twice, in fact, on this podcast in the past. One extended play long in my house, my old house, and then one on the first live podcast. So it was cool to talk to Dan and get a different perspective on, you know, his side of things from being in the band. Um, but yeah, so it was a fun chat. I had a really good time. Dan listens to the podcast, so that's pretty cool. And he also likes podcasts a lot. So we chatted about that too. And, you know, it's just a good chinwag. Um, they got some shows coming up uh, for the release of Black and Blue. Uh, Friday, the 14th of October, they're playing in Sydney at the Factory Floor. The 15th of October, they're playing at Crowbar, best venue in Australia, in Brisbane. Then the following week, they're playing Friday, the 21st of October at the Gasso here in Melbourne. And then on the 22nd of October, they're playing at the Brisbane Hotel in Hobart. So if you froth the nation blue, go see them live. It'll be really good. Um, but yeah, I'm not going to talk for too much longer. Um, apologies about not doing one for a while. I will be doing some video podcasts soon. Uh, I post a little video teasing that on the internet. So yeah, check out our YouTube, subscribe to it. That's where it'll go up. I've also never really asked people to subscribe to this podcast. I guess that's something you could do if you wanted to do it. Um, thanks for listening anyway, but if you want to subscribe to it, you can do that on iTunes or whatever as well and SoundCloud and stuff. Um, what else? I'm in a new band called Mental Cavity. That'll be on the internet soon. Uh, I exist playing shows in November in Canberra and Brisbane. Go to I exist Facebook to look about that. And otherwise, just be brutal and enjoy your lives. So enjoy episode 56 of the Oblivious Maximus podcast with Dan McKay from Nation Blue. Fucking brutal. podcast thank you for um having me on having me the pleasure i'm a i'm a, a long time listener well thank you for You've being interviewed a... um, my best mate one of my bandmates one two of my bosses really um my, Who are your i bosses? work at smith and daughters oh okay so you interviewed mo and callum there you go i still have i've got to listen to part two of callum's first uh episode because it went oh, on for a from memory went for fucking ages bless him i'm sure you know from working with him yeah, he yeah. can talk yeah, he can talk yeah. he comes up i say i only see him every couple of weeks he, he callum's like at the restaurant and the deli he's like the the, the dad yeah uh if something's broken callum comes and fixes it Dad's or there. if we need something callum builds a shelf for it <laughs> um but every now and then he'll he'll um he'll give me a little tidbit of uh 
when Nation Blue played with his band that I don't remember. I'm yeah. like, oh, that's cool. There you go. Yeah, that's really fun. <laughs> yeah, sick. But uh, yeah, great. I love, love the podcast. Thank you love very it. much. I, I'm very happy that you're here. And I love podcasts Me well. too. So it's... As we were just really discussing. Well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So how did you get into music? What was I, the start for you? I knew that you were going to go straight in yeah. there because I'm a listener. Thank um, you. Uh, how did I get into music? Uh, I was sort of grew up in a, I guess it wasn't necessarily a musical family, but there was a musical uh, uh, influence. My dad uh, played, he was a muso, he played in bands in Hobart. I grew up in Hobart, Tasmania. Mm-hmm. Uh, he played bands in Hobart uh, in the 60s, no like in the, you know, the 60s. Yeah. So he was doing, you know, co- like uh, in a band called The Silhouettes and they were doing, obviously it was a very different scene back then. Um and uh, bands were just sort of cover bands, you know. Yeah. And you could play a gig five nights a week. And as my dad likes to um, remind me uh, in relation to what I'm doing musically, <laughs> you could pay the rent, feed the kids, you sure. know, do all that. I'm like, it's not... There fucking, was money involved. It's not fucking 1965 anymore. Yeah. And rent's really expensive, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I guess th- f- f- because of that, there was, as long as I can remember, there was music... Uh, around there was mm. musical equipment around yeah right. uh, my brother played guitar as well obviously obviously from um my dad's influence so he was always singing and playing guitar mm-hmm. um and my sister oh, much older brother and sister um they were they had record collections as well so yeah for as long as i can remember there's there's been music around how much older were they than you uh, Why are they than you sorry about there's about 12 13 and 15 years between. wow okay. so I basically got I got the best of a lot of generations. I think as far yeah, as like great. musical influences that was around. So dad's, you know, I had the classic dad record collection, mm-hmm. but muso dad. So there was a few other things that yeah, you know, would drilled in a lot a lot more. Like obviously, you know, your Beatles, Stones. Um, so I had the sixties and sort of seventies dad rock shit. Yeah. Um, you know, Fleetwood Mac, Carole King, um, Elton John, all that sort of stuff, and then. I had my brother and sister's records, so there was like Neil Young, which my dad hated, and right. I think that's why my sister liked it so much. You know, of course, uh, ELO, a lot of sort of seventies, moving into eighties, and then I had the all of the great Australian sort of rock and roll bands, Cold Chisel, Midnight Oil, mm. um, Hoodoo Gurus, Hunters and Collectors. So I've pretty much had they're my my earliest childhood memories have basically have a, a, like a pretty kick-ass soundtrack. Yeah, know? that's awesome. So. That I think it's, that's one of those things that like I, I guess I was fortunate in the fact that my mum likes music a lot. My dad likes music too, but I think I had a different path in the sense that I had to find my feet in music. Yeah, like okay. I didn't have a path set out for me. I had yeah. to sort of go through personal turmoil yeah. and no, things yeah, to get, get to where I, I got that. to. Yeah, absolutely. But like, it's one of the things that I find really interesting is when people come from a family that has like strong, strong music foundations in the sense that it continued beyond their teenage years or something like that. Like my mum played music and she was really into it and stuff like that. But as soon as she had kids and had work, then that dropped off dropped off and it just went to listening to it. Yeah. I think my dad's maybe tasting music or (coughs) at very least like if like his record, his musical taste sort of, in, in the evolution as, as you or I, like mm. we're in a crazy different time where we have so much access to yeah. recorded music. Um, 
in from everywhere, you mm-hmm. know, at, instantaneously. Yeah. But I think, yeah, like you were saying with your with your mum, my dad, I think his record collecting and his taste sort of maybe stopped around the family time. Sure, yeah. But then there was the whole uh, Eric Clapton unplugged uh, time. Mm-hmm. So Eric Clapton, he remained very present right up until right. Uh, the... Um, and then sort of like some Billy Joel and stuff like that. So there was... He was still... And, and my brother and stuff like that, they were still sort of getting into music. But I think around probably primary school, high school and onwards was when I started to go... And obviously then you're getting you're getting influenced by your peers, like your school friends yeah. and, and the radio, like commercial radio. Um, then you start to, yeah, like you say, find your own, your own path. And a lot of it is a, like I mentioned before with my sister, like in Neil Young, mm. a lot of it is a direct reaction against your parents' yeah. music. So then you're like, someone played me a tape um, of, like I heard Beastie Boys and Run DMC, like in mm. the playground in grade five. I was like, this is terrifying. I don't know what this is. <laughs> My parents are going to hate it. I love it. You know? Yes. I need to take this home now. And I, I reckon ask any metalhead how they got into metal. It's like yeah. my, my parents fucking hated it. So I loved it. Yeah. You know, it was music for me. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, that's, yeah, that's basically how it was for me too. I mean, I, I had a strange route in the sense that I, I credit, or at least as I can remember, I basically got into metal through rap, which is like... Yeah, right. You went backwards. Yeah. Oh, because you're a bit younger than me. I am. So you... So like... So I was big into rap and then... So rap and metal had already merged. Yes. Ah, oh, see, I saw the they evolution were, of it. I'm yeah. like, no, 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 no. Take it back. <laughs> Everyone go back. So, so I was happy with, the, <laughs> with that, that existence. Yeah, fair enough. No, I'll but it, that. But it like, it was really, it was really funny. Like that's how... And I sort of went to that... Yeah, again, totally back and similar with playing in hardcore bands and stuff yeah. backwards again. I got into that through metal, yeah, right. whereas everyone else gets into yeah. it through punk. I reckon, <laughs> yeah, you, you, everything goes in ways. Like, I got into stuff I get into stuff that happened 30 years ago from mm. something that happened last week. You're like, yeah. how, the, how the fuck do I make that connection? Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. I, and I, one of the biggest things for me was, in a circumstance like that, was Australian, like, old rock band Buffalo. I had Buffalo, yeah. never heard them before. Yeah. Never in my life. And then... I was listening to some stoner rock band, you know, whoever. (laughs) And one of them was wearing a Buffalo shirt. And I was like, that shirt's fucking sick. I got to check out this band. (laughs) Then I find out they're from fucking Melbourne. And I'm like... Are they like sort of late 70s? Are they like... Yeah, like they... Sunbury 76 sort of era. Like Billy Thorpe. They're like... sort of time. They're like... They were Australia's Black Sabbath, basically. Yeah, right. Great. You know, and they're fucking unreal. Yeah. But their music is ridiculous. Yeah. Like, it's so silly. They have really bad lyrics. Yeah, and, right. like, it's clear why they didn't become Black Sabbath. <laughs> but yeah. the music's fantastic. And yeah. I was like... And I got into it and I was like, how... If I'm from there and this is, like, my favorite stuff, yeah. how did I never hear this? Yeah. And then... And I've subsequently, like, one of my uncles really likes them. And I'm oh, like, that's awesome. why the fuck didn't you tell me? That's awesome. <laughs> you know, like... Yeah, you need a... I feel like you need you need a cool uncle or a cool yeah. brother and sister to just go, mate, that's this all is good. What you, did. you can listen to that, you know. Like, I and I still do. I love... <coughs> I love fucking everything and I love I love pop music and I like... Mm, yeah. But you, you need that, like, yeah, he's... This is master reality. Yeah, you, yeah. Have a listen to this. In 20 years, you're going to fucking thank me. <laughs> yeah. And I, I have five nephews. Um, um, and I'm, I've, I've made mixtapes for the eldest one uh, a few times. Just because he's... Uh, I, f- I feel like he's kind of from... Like, corn. the new metal sort of thing mm-hmm. was, like, pretty big for him. Yeah. 
um, given the age. And I was like, yep, it's cool. I'm, I'm going to respect that. But here's, um, here's some old, some older stuff. Here's some Joy Division. Here's some like, yeah, you know, just like, you, you, you probably throw this seat in. First thing you go, what's this? I'll go, it's a compact disc. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> I feel like, uh, like my, what my brother and sister and my dad gave to me, I feel like, Hopefully one day I can kind of like yeah yeah steer, help someone else like yeah. find some new shit you know I think the same thing too and I think it's one of those things I, I think another thing too that I wish I had earlier in <clears throat> my time of sort of getting into music and playing it and stuff was someone telling me that listening to different things was okay yeah because I takes had a like while to to shake that yeah like, yeah because it was like rap everything was rap yeah. Before that, everything was Michael Jackson. Yeah. Then after rap, <laughs> yeah, yeah. it was new metal. Yeah. Everything was new metal. Then after that, it was like thrash. Then it was death metal. Yeah. And like, it took me until like the end of listening to like only death metal for like three years. Was yeah. it like, oh, I still like rap. Yeah. Like, oh, and I, I love Cold Chisel. Yeah. Like, and holy yeah. fuck, Beyonce just dropped a record and no one knew. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah. like, it takes, I think it takes like bashing yourself. Yeah. of just listening to one thing yeah, for so long can't. well it's so like you just you, i guess it's growing up too yeah you're like, growing up and you're expanding and you're experiencing you're you're getting new experiences and in life and then you sort of you open your mind a little bit more and mm. you accept it more because when you're young you just everything you don't like you fucking hate it yeah the stuff you love that you're obsessed with it yeah and you exactly. don't there's no crossover but like yeah yeah like i said i judgment night mm-hmm. soundtrack yeah would have been a big one for you yes but it, that would have happened before before i was yeah. there that was around the the, the but it was a seminal big... it was the thing oh man just another victim helmet house and pain forget <laughs> about it forget about it they put the stamp on it yeah yeah. yeah it could have st- for me i think you know it could have st- started and stopped with that soundtrack <laughs> like here's this cool thing that rap and, and rock did yeah and it was never repeated except it just then it happened, blew up and then faith and more happened and then death times happened and yeah. then it just went from there yep I watched it all from the from the from the. I watched it all happen before my very eyes. <laughs> you were there. I was there. Um, so what was it like then? I guess getting into music and doing that stuff in Hobart. I've talked to a couple of people now from oh, yeah. Tasmania. What Tassie people have been on here? Um, Le- oh, did did you interview Liam Liam White? Yes. Yeah. And I talked to Tyler from Luca Browse. Tyler, as yes. Well. Tyler, yeah, great. Um, but yeah, so what was your experience of growing up in Tasmania? Because I guess. For me, my experience is different from everyone being that I grew up overseas and then I moved to Canberra and yeah. then Canberra's also a weird place yeah, to yeah, get yeah. into music and yeah. stuff like that too. So I'm interested in these places that aren't Melbourne. Yeah, Melbourne or Sydney. You know, because yeah. Melbourne, yeah. I feel like if you were born here and you grew up here, you were sort of handed music. Yeah, you had it. Pretty easily. I don't, it's funny, I don't, I talk about this all the time, but I don't, I hardly know any people who are from Melbourne. Yeah. In Melbourne. Me either. Everyone's probably from, probably a handful. Everyone's from somewhere else. Yep. I reckon everyone I associate with is it's likely like, from it's elsewhere. Good it's It's like we all... We all f- any of us would have been friends back in Canberra or back in yeah, Perth yeah. or in Brisbane. Mm. But we've become friends in Melbourne. It's yeah, yeah. It's a crazy, crazy thing. Mm. Uh, growing up in Tasmania uh, in the 80s and 90s. Um, fuck, you know, I can't really... I mean, I've, I've been in Melbourne for 17 years now and mm-hmm. I moved... I was in Hobart for... I moved when I was like 21. Yep. Um, so, I'm, I'm old, but I didn't... I had nothing else to compare it to. It was like, this is... I grew up here. This was yeah. how it was, you know. I'd been to... We'd been to... Mel- I went to Melbourne a few times with family holiday. Went to Queensland a few times. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, oh, yeah, this is cool. This is different. Yeah. But it wasn't until 
started coming to Melbourne a lot more and started coming over to the band where it was like, oh, okay, it's pretty easy to do band stuff over here. Yeah. Whereas in Hobart at that time, like there was a real, there was a period in Hobart um, between maybe like 90, for me, like around 94 to till I moved in like 99, mm-hmm. which I reckon a hundred bands came and went in that time. And yeah, it was wow. a really, uh, it was a really influential time and really formative time for for me mm-hmm. and and for Tom as well, who also grew up in Hobart from the Nation Blue. Yeah. Um, and we were going out and the scene, the scene mm. was stuff like that was, you, you wouldn't, you, you wouldn't say music scene in Hobart in the nineties. It was music. You, you'd, Just, be, you'd be, it'd be, you'd be cringeworthy. Sure. I would talk to you. Um, it was super, it was like, it was elite, but I didn't realize it because it was, uh, it was 110 people, 120 people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, two venues. Um, and, Everyone was in three bands mm. um, and you went to each other's shows. You played with each other's bands. Yeah. Genres didn't matter. There was no, there was no mainstream music media. There was a commercial radio station. There was no independent radio that was really playing any local stuff. Um, there was no outside influences. There was no street press. There was no internet mm. um, music. There was rage. And then I guess later on there was recovery, but that was frowned upon um, <laughs> in the, in the Hobart days. Yeah. Um, and not that many bands came down. Mm. Uh, they more and more they did when Nation Blue and our other bands were playing. Uh, we get mainly Melbourne bands, but yeah. like cool bands like Blood Duster came down a couple of times. Bud, um, Magic Dirt came down a bunch of times, and um, and some of the some of my friends who are also in bands that were also like bringing bands out. Um, so they bought uh, friends of mine bought Fakazi out twice, uh, Bikini Kill. Um, so we had some, and that and that was a huge fucking deal to see Fugazi yeah. in '96. I think I saw him. My band that was playing Fifty Million Clowns, we supported him. That was like, what the fuck? How yeah. do I? How do I get to be in a band that is playing with Fugazi yeah, in this weird old venue that used to be a ballroom <laughs> called the Sapphire Ballroom? Like, and it's under a under a underground. It's really mm. weird. It's not. I don't know what it is now. Um, but yeah, like I was saying, this we there was no outside influences. There was no real. Um, there was no rules, mm. you know, except that if you sounded like another band, you 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 change you change the chords. <laughs> there cannot if you be. Sounded like there cannot an, be two of us. Yeah, yeah, if you sounded like another Hobart band, you change yeah. you change it up. It was like everyone was really unique. So it was sort of like it was probably pretty toxic when I think about it now. But looking back, like that two or three year period is actually like yeah, really formative and like the best way you could get into music and get into live music and yeah. get into that creative environment in this sort of weird, small, isolated area. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think that's another thing too about about that is sometimes it can be like the incestual type, really close thing of it can be bad, but then it also can foster some like awesome friendships. Yeah. Is I mean, a huge thing for me was all the friends that came out of it, but as well you because you're all in each other's bands and you're all trying to do different things i don't know about you but for me it was also trying to play different instruments yeah, yeah so yeah. that i could be in different yeah bands. exactly yeah everyone that was in more than one band yeah it was like oh i play drums in that band but i don't play drums yeah oh, i played bass i played bass in a um um a i oh, fuck i can't remember what it was it was it was a it was a metal band yeah it was well it started as a death metal band and then blood duster put out straight out of northcote and then we, then all of a sudden, Blues Riffs, 
and solos were fine. So we Perfect. sort of were emulating that a bit. Yeah. Uh, but I played bass in that band. We were called Evil Dead. And it was one of my favorite bands I've ever played in. <laughs> we did sick. a record. We supported Blood Duster once. And, Basically uh, ticked all the death yeah, metal boxes. Yeah, and uh, we had a great time. Yeah. That was like 98, 99. That's sick. That's with a group of friends. And we we're all in, yeah, everyone's in other bands. Alex, who played drums in that band, played bass in uh, uh, Sea Scouts. And he's now, what is he? He's, we're playing with his new band, Pale, I think. No, not called Pale. Pure in Hobart in, in a month. Mm. Um, he also plays, the, sings and plays guitar in Ruins. And oh, Alex... Cool. Alex is, yeah, he's a really old friend of, of mine and Tom's. We yeah, awesome. sort of like I think we had a band in... We started a band together in like year 11 or something. And oh, well, we've all, awesome. yeah, sort of been... Gone to do your own thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, I, and I think, yeah, that's that's what I really like. And I think, you know, people from or who grew up in or have lots of good experience in bigger cities, I feel like they have a perspective that we obviously don't have. But there is something to growing up and being forced into those smaller things yeah. oh, and having to develop and find yourself. But I, yeah, I even think in like, even <coughs> in the bigger cities, like uh, the similar sort of thing can happen, but it's just, it's like, it could be like a bit more of a suburb thing. It's yeah. Be like, cause you hear people talking about Melbourne um, <coughs> in terms of like, there was like the little band scene, which happened around like the inner North in like the eighties. And yeah. then there's like the St Kilda scene mm. that happened. And these were people that like, would just in a, in the same way that we were in Hobart, there was twenty five people who all played in each other's bands yeah. and had parties at each other's houses and slept with each other's girlfriends and yeah. that small sort of incestuous thing. I think it's very much still exists in the big city, but it's more isolated in a, in a, in a, in, a, in, a, in a and refined in like a smaller community. Yeah, know? yeah, in an area or something but where for, where there's one venue yeah. that you. But for us, play. there was like. The, the pub that you play yeah. the bands that you play with yep. no it was the um, same thing Canberra but like I honestly I reckon I wouldn't fucking change any of that you know no. I reckon it was a yeah, really good good way to get in, into it and it gave us it gave the Nation Blue a bit of gave us a bit of grit when we got over here and a bit of um, um, momentum not momentum a bit of inspiration yeah because we got over here and, and it was like everything was divided in these scenes mm. and that band wouldn't play with that band at that venue because they're in different scenes. And we were like, what's this fucking scenes bullshit? Yeah. Like, we want to play with metal bands and folk bands. What's wrong with that? That's yeah. what we're used to doing. Yeah. And I think we sort of, I even think now we probably still carry a bit of that. Like our bills that we put together are always the weirdest fucking things ever. Yeah. And it's like, we all like, these people and these bands and that's cool. Yeah. You know? Well, that's always been a thing for us in... I, I can swear on this podcast, right? Of course. Please, as much as you'd like. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, like, <clears throat> a thing for us in AIGS, this has always been that too. Like, none of us only listen to metal. And in fact, like, when we started the band, half of the guys probably didn't really listen to much metal at all. Yeah. And sort of got into it a lot through playing it. Yeah. Um... And, but like one of those things to me, like even same thing, like booking, like we've got some shows in November and when I booked those shows, I was like, I don't want to just play with metal bands. No. I want to try and play with these different bands. And I think the idea behind that for me is like, as, as I see it again, from coming from a small place, more people are going to go if there's more stuff yeah, to yeah. listen to well, yeah. as I, as I see it. And we get, everyone's getting on. Like I did a, 
tour of, I was playing Whitehorse for a couple of years and we did American tour and it was fucking great it was a wonderful experience mm. um, but we did like 30 odd shows in, in a month or whatever yeah but I was like fuck I before it and even half I, I was alright during it but I was like fuck that's like 30 plus metal shows that I've got to go to yeah. no, it's no, it wasn't like that it's I no got to play I'm like oh fuck that's yeah. brutal mm. like and my the way I watch and see music now has changed a lot. I've I've worked at a uh, music venue for the last five, six, seven years. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm there three or four days, nights a week. Um, so I see a lot of bands. Yeah. But you're seeing bands, but they're just they're just happening while you're working. Yeah. So you hear them, and going to watch a band now, I I've, I reckon I got two or three songs, and I'm like, cool, I'm ready to walk around or do something else. Like, yeah. And you're like, you watch two songs, and you're like, yeah, they're good, great. Yeah. And I, I can tell. I don't need to hear the rest, you know? No, and, but th- that's another thing too that I think, I, I'm sure people think it's like a dick move or something. But I think really, if you've been playing music for a long time and you've been listening to it for way longer, yeah, you know. there's, a, there's a point where you have to know personally how you intake things. Yes, exactly. Like, and I was, I was talking to a friend about this the other day, how... We've both noticed that, you know, I only ever stand at the back of the room now. And like someone would probably think I'm a dickhead for doing that, but it sounds the best back there. The bar's back there. You can get to the bar, you can get to the toilet. (laughs) Like you you can, you've got a bit of, I get sort of, I can't like like big shows, you know, I've got to kind of psych up to go into it because I'm going to be standing with heaps of people around me. Yep. Um, Waiting in line. that's, That's not, that's not, I don't find that. Uh, fun no you know I, I mean there is that experience as part of that intimate sort of experience like you're sharing this space and you're enjoying this experience with however many other people yeah but you know the practical side of that is like you squash like sardines so yeah but i find that that sort of hinders my enjoyment i can't get out i can't completely get uh immersed in what's happening on the stage or i i get into my head and then i'm like oh that person's touching my shoulder yeah so i'm like and all you can think about you know is what? that if it doesn't sound as good at the back i'll sacrifice <laughs> that for a general like good experience you know yeah yeah and i, I mean it, it's one of those things too i think as well i think a big thing for me is just with dealing or an issue that i've had in my head at least i don't know whether it's reality is like i do this for me really i like that i play music and that people like it i'm you know forever grateful and appreciative similarly with the podcast i think it's awesome that oh yeah people consume it but at the same time at the heart of it i'm not doing it for you know like so people are praising it or whatever no. i'm doing it because if i wasn't doing this i'd be doing something else yeah exactly you're you doing it because you you you, you, you got to get it out of your system yeah it's like songwriters um and songwriters fascinate me because I'm I'm a drummer. I'm a con- contributor. I'll yeah. help arrangement. I'll go no 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 that that first chord up there up the neck yeah that's the one you know mm. that's the extent of my songwriting yeah um um but songwriters always like <clears throat> I've, I've like, watched a lot of music docos but uh, there's that whole theory of like sometimes you just gotta finish a song just to get it out yeah so that the next thing that's waiting in the back of your mind somewhere can come out yeah know? so I'm thinking you think like have any great classic songs, singer songwriters? So you you 
Neil Young's, your Springsteen's, your Billy Joel's. Mm. Imagine the shit that they threw out before you yeah. got Piano Man. Yeah, you know, exactly. this, this this honky, like weird. <coughs> I imagine whatever came before Piano Man was this weird jazzy lounge blues singer kind of thing that was just shit. Yeah. And he's like, oh, I just had to write it and get it out of my system so that something else could come through. Yeah. And that's like you with what you're doing with your music. This, you're just like, I just got to do this until, until it's out. And mm. then if it's time to do something else, you'll do that. Yeah, exactly. But it's like, and you probably, and I'm guessing in this environment, it's hard to imagine somebody uh, getting on the on the fucking Lilydale line with their uh, little white iPod speakers, uh, headphones in, yeah. listening to this conversation that we're having now. Like, yeah. Looking around the room and th- this is like, this is an experience that we're having right now. Yeah. But this is going to be listened to by... Someone. You know, yeah. someone. But you're Sitting like, in the tram. You can't... Something. What are you, you going to do with that information? You yeah, know, it's yeah. Like, well, it's not going to change what I'm saying now. No, no. Yeah, it is, it is weird. And, it, and it's like, I think that, that's a way that I've been able to relate this well to, I guess, people who don't... Maybe not don't know or aren't really into stuff like podcasts or interviews yeah. or long form conversations yeah. and things like that. I think for me is just like, this is basically like doing a demo every week. Yeah, totally. Like, Fuck it's yeah. like, this well, you got the right, you got two mics and a, re- yeah. a digital recorder. Yeah, exactly. Fuck man. I am these, demoing. These Zoom things that Aaron's recording on, they're great. I'm not, I'm Spruiking not Zoom. I am absolutely not sponsored, <laughs> although I got one for free from the distributor, but this was many years ago. Um, imagine like Tom and I talk about it all the time because we had, we just record everything on dictaphones and then mm. we'd plug two mics into a tape deck and it was, wasn't until very sort of recently that we started documenting yeah. rehearsals digi- digitally. Yeah. But I know that Tom's got a bucket of um, 90 minute cassette tapes that just say nation blue on them. You know, I, th- I found a box recently. It was like oh, wow. nation, na- I'm like what the, f- who's got who's hours to find this yeah. shit. But like, what is happening on this? Imagine days? like if we had, if I imagine if Tom and I had these when we were writing Nation Blue songs in the nineties, the late nineties. Yeah, I'm wondering how it would have well like, like, affected it because some of the weirdest, coolest, weird Nation things that we've ended up using has been Tom driving, drive listening to these ninety minutes of just fucking random jam tapes mm. driving to and from Frankston. Um, and there's there's some bit you know you know when you're jamming you get yeah you just jamming and at the eleven minute mark of this endless jam, a fucking ten second riff comes from nowhere. That's like, awesome. That's the song. Yeah, yeah. Tom used to be able to find those, but now you just like, you get it down and you hit record. Yeah. And no, even if you got like an MP3 file that's ten minutes long, you're like, I'm not listening to all of that. I don't <laughs> fucking time. You know. Yeah. So I feel like you know this, back- this thing has like revolutionized jamming. And yeah. recording and stuff for me. Set and forget. And the other thing about it is like this, I've only had this thing and of, you know, people who've had similar things that I've been in bands with for like literally three or four years. Yeah, right. Like it should have been, these have been around for a while, yeah. but just, I don't know if none of us knew or we're well, thinking that, straight, it's, like. it's It goes back and I've seen like a lot of technology come and go very quickly. Yeah. Like mini disc, I couldn't wait to save up for a mini disc yeah. eight track recorder. I, I and by the time it well. was feasible, yeah. it was like, oh no, no one's using mini disc anymore. <laughs> right. like, Damn it! Yeah. It just made so much sense to have this super compressed digital files. Yeah. But yeah, yeah that's, that's that's how we that's how we record stuff now. Yeah, you know? me too. And it's it's, I think that that and that's another thing as well that I think is changing the way that I play music is having, not only the instantaneous ability to find other people's music 
but the instantaneous ability to have my music down and be able to critique it. Because, and I think that's good in some ways and then bad in others. Where in other ways where the only time you ever hear your song is when you jam it. Yeah, yeah. Now you jam it once and then you bust its balls listening to it. Exactly. You can listen to it on your phone. Yeah. An hour later. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, that's just, that's just me. Yeah. Um, so when was the, so the move was in the late nineties and was the, was the move constructed around the band? Anish. Yeah. Yeah. We, um, (coughs) okay. So the nation blue, just brief fucking boring, um, history of the band Mm -hmm. band started Tom, myself, um, and our friend Andy Stacy, uh, started jamming, and for this band in somewhere between the start and middle of 1996, mm-hmm. we played our first go, go first gig, uh, late, like November, December, 1996. So literally 20, 20 years. fucking years ago, yeah, dude. Wow. Yeah. Um, and then, so we played around Hobart for a few years, recorded an EP, came to Melbourne twice, I think to play and just everything just gelled. And it was like, all right, this is the band we're doing. We were both, Tom and I, and, or actually Tom and Andy were in a band prior to Nation Blue um, <coughs> already and then that fell through and then we started. But I think it was like maybe three to four years, about three years, mm. we existed as a band in Hobart, um, supported a bunch of people, played with Alchemist, your mates, Alchemist from Canberra. Very good. Canberra, our good nation's dudes. capital. Um, Space metal. Yeah. <laughs> They had excellent, excellent hair and goatees from memory. Mm-hmm. Um, they still do. And then, yeah, toured to Melbourne a couple of times. Really good response. We already had a network of people, ex-Tazzy, ex-Hobart bands who had moved to Melbourne prior to us, people a few years older than us, um, who were Tom and I's sort of musical heroes slash peers. Sure. And um, they, big, massive, ginormous influences on us personally, musically, Um and they were from bands, uh, bands Mouth, uh, Little Little Ugly Girls, Little Ugly Girls or Lugs. Um, so all that personnel, they were already in Melbourne. Pretty easy for us to get a gig through them. And I think Melbourne bands that came down like Bud, Recane, um, S-Barn, a bunch of other bands that aren't, except for Bud, aren't around anymore. But we were able to make contacts and yeah. give them a call. Hey, we're coming over. Cool. We're playing with you at the Punters Club on a Sunday night. So it was really easy to get <coughs> Melbourne shows and there was more people we could play to. We got a really good response. Mm. And then at that point, I was I was on the dole and I was fucking done with Hobart. My family sort of situation pretty much fell apart. I was yeah. moving out of home. I was dealing with how to be independent and an adult at 20, 21. Yeah. And I just went, I'm getting, I'm getting the fuck out of here. We sat down once. I think it was at the Empress in Melbourne, which is... I think it's the Empress still. Mm-hmm. When we were in Melbourne after a show. We, me, Tom and Andy, we sat down and went, Melbourne, Melbourne. Tom was like, yeah, I'm going to defer uni. I'm going to transfer. I'm going to go to uni in Melbourne. But Tom's got uh, family. His dad's side of the family all are from Melbourne. Okay. So, he, he's had, 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 had a safety net here. Had a safety net. He had um, uncles, cousins mm-hmm. already living here. And we're all like, yeah, we're moving to Melbourne. So I left in. I left as soon as I could. Basically, I, I moved in mid '99. Mm. The plan would be Tom and Andy would come over later. We'd set up and go then. Um, go get the band fight up again. Andy didn't want to move. Yeah, totally fair enough. Um, he's got family there. You know, didn't want to move to Melbourne. Yeah. Totally fine. So he didn't make <coughs> it. 
Tom came anyway, um, and then we met Matt. We met Matt in Hobart. He was fruit picking. He was weird. Um, <laughs> but he was recommended to us by our friend Brett, who we asked initially, who played bass in Rakane and Warped and had a black Rickenbacker and could scream. And it was like, we need someone who can do that. Do that. And Matt was like, I, uh, I can play guitar. Um, and I was like, yeah, sweet. Sure. You, 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 I think he borrowed Bet, Brett's bass. Yeah. So I was like, you're basically Brett, but you're not. And so you'll do. <laughs> Um, so yeah, we, so we've been sort of, we had our first Melbourne gig with Matt in 2000 sometime. So what was the initial thing you asked me? Oh, just about coming here. Yeah. So that was, that was it. It was like, there's no point if the the band wouldn't, would, would have stopped existing. And I think by that stage, there's a lot of people moved away. Venues were closing. It was a bit shit. Yeah. Um, it didn't have the same energy and feel. And like I said, it was like a very short amount, those few years of uh, formative years in Hobart. It had, it had sort of fizzed out, I think, for us personally. And yeah. it was like, we need, we need bigger things. And I just needed to get, I just needed to get away. I needed to start fresh. It was like, I'm, I'm completely lost. I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, right. Why not, why not move to Melbourne and mm. do it there? I don't know how I moved to Melbourne, personally. Yeah. Moving, I'm moving house sort of at the moment. And it's fucking, I've been in my place for 12 years. And uh, I don't know how I had the strength as a 20-year-old yeah. to go, oh, cool, I'm going to put the 10 things that I own in the back of my friend's van who I'm paying for mm. to go over on the boat and then start a new life in Melbourne. Yeah. But I'm glad I fucking did it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> well, I mean, it's a similar thing with me. Like I, I moved here when I was 21 as well. And that was the same thing. Like I, Now that I think I've moved a couple times since I've lived here and every time has been hell as yeah. is moving. But I, I feel like when I moved here, I was like enthusiastic and yeah. joyous and like, I, couldn't, I, was, I was looking yeah. forward to things. Yeah. But now like the thought, uh, like, you know, I'm fortunate in the place that I live in now, but fuck, like in part of me is just like, I'm never going to leave this place just yeah. because I don't want to have to pack this bullshit I'm i know like- I'm, I'm i like i like to run like just in, i spend a lot of time in my head but i run sort of a risk assessment scenario type things <laughs> on needing to move yeah and i'm looking around this room now and i'm like because i'm in i'm in full fucking packing mode yeah and it's like no it's, it wouldn't take too long but yeah it's annoying looking at the oh it is annoying <laughs> taking things apart That's, but I'm yeah gl- glad i moved and um I'm never buying anything ever again. Basically, that's what I've got out of this <laughs> We've fucking got too whole experience. Much. <laughs> it's like you don't need. That's all the records you, you need. No more. No more. Um, so I guess take me through how things have ended up with Nation Blue. Then I guess so. It's twenty years later. Twenty years. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you obviously were doing stuff quite regularly, and then had a bit of a yeah. a down, not a down spell, in the sense that you weren't mm. doing stuff. Well, we grew. Doing different yeah. things. We were young men when we started that. When we very young men when we started that band, and pretty young still when Matt joined. Yeah, and Matt was a couple of years younger than us, so <clears throat> by default that made Tom and I younger, as young as Matt Weston. <laughs> yeah. Um, um. Yeah, I think so. We two thousand first record trial and error. <coughs> Um, oh Melder, that's another mm-hmm. one. He put out that record. Yep. He's been on here. Yes, he I really enjoyed Melder's and Gordy's podcast because they're like mel- sort of older. Yeah, slightly a couple of years older than us, but different backgrounds, different sort of music scenes. But for some reason, us and uh, Mind Snare just all just really like each other. Yeah. And so it was nice to hear like Melder's um, 
how Melda and Gordy got into music. I was like, that was fascinating. To yeah. Me. Um, so uh, yeah. So anyway, like first record, two thousand one, and we we had a real crack. We had a real crack at it between two thousand one and maybe two thousand six. Like yeah. We had a good four years of like uh, getting courted by record labels, mm. um, tours, support tours. Went overseas. Oh, that was we went overseas later. That was like a good time for that as well. Yeah, yeah. In a sense where that was you boiling. Could, we could do it. We sort of somehow, somehow fit. We managed to just tack on to the end of this sort of weird punk hardcore DIY type thing. Probably the probably the Nigel's and the trial and error influence yeah. and the art house. So we kind of got we kind of got bumped into that world, which was a really fucking good world. Yeah. Because it meant that we would we had the East Coast on lock. Mm. I was like, oh, we can play with that band. And then you talk to that guy. And yeah, through Melda, like our first few tours were pretty easy to get shows. Yeah. And like for the first like two or three years, we we almost exclusively ended up playing with hardcore bands, which is really confusing, but also like I get it. Yeah. Um, so then, then it was another record, 2004, which was Damnation. That was the one that we got courted around that time. Because between 2001 and 2003, we did... We did a. We actually were a band that toured a lot, and mm. we did a big tour with Magic Dirt. Uh, we toured with and supported fucking everyone. We were booked by Premier around that time as well, up to about two thousand. Oh, up until recently, but more actively back then. Uh, so second album two thousand three uh, came out two thousand four. That was Damnation, another big tour. That was that was the biggest amount of money um, someone had ever spent on our band. Yeah. Um, and we that was the the real deal, and that that's been the most. I think that's the one that people who were around back then. That's the one that everyone knows. I think that's the sure. one we sold the most of. Yeah. Um. But even st- but even then, still, it's like a band like that. There's only far only so far we could actually go. Mm. Like I think around that's the a niche market. Yeah, I mean around the early because there's no th- the, like there's nothing you can really compare it to or attach it to. Like it didn't really fit in the punk. It fits in the punk hardcore world, but it doesn't really fit. And it fits in the rock and roll sort of, uh, and then heavy rock sort of world, but doesn't fit, you mm. know. Um, and then there are times where we played this sort of indie rock sort of thing. It was like we all share this this same ethos and this same sort of community spirit. I I, I did the little commas thing for the listeners. Yeah, spirit. <laughs> um, but musically, and we just we just don't. There's no sort of genre things, and we've and that's how we've always played it. And it's like if anything sounds too much like. A genre, it's like, oh, it's that's back to the, those Hobart roots. Is like, oh, that's out of there. That's yeah, not yeah. gonna work. It sounds like fucking, sounds like corn. Fuck that. <laughs> um, more and more these days, it's like that sounds like us, man. You know, yeah, that yeah. sounds easy to play. So let's 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 lock it in. Yeah, um, yeah. So, two thousand one to two thousand four to two thousand five had a bit of a crack. I think um, third record that took a little longer. Mm. I think, and in the in the meantime, we're we're growing up through our 20s sure um the three of us in this sort of crazy weird relationship that is a band Mm. and we're also three dudes in their 20s that are just trying to get through that yeah figure life out it's fucking weird because it's like we're really good friends and we talk about stuff but then when it comes to our own personal things with each other we didn't talk about a lot you know there was a lot of silence there was a lot of beef but not it was all sort of unspoken and yeah Three were three very fucking opinionated, moody. Like I don't know how. Yeah. Twenty years, man. I don't know how it's lasted <laughs> that long. But uh, we did, and then 
and then I think the second so maybe say go two thousand five to two thousand nine, which is, which would incorporate uh, Process Songs, the third record in two thousand seven, uh, and Rising Waters in two thousand nine. I think in that time we slowed it down a bit because it was like you'd write record uh, album tour and that was the cycle and then you go back and do it again mm. we all worked full time and Matt worked sort of freelance but full time the whole time uh, we never really we always liked the idea of like imagine if you just had to you could just play in a band mm. but it's like this not it's not, not, not with this music yeah yeah. yeah. so it was, it was a weekend thing and you know we were trying to hold down uh, full time jobs relationships you know um, and it, I think it started to sort of get a little get a little harder I mean we, I didn't even think we'd do one record let alone we're about to release our fifth and sixth. Yeah. Um, so yeah, protest songs. I was, I think, uh, I felt like that was it. I felt like it was a really hard record to make. Yeah. Um, personally, but, but the actual physical, the actual experience of making the record was the most fun one we had. Wow. We went to this mansion in the country that was owned by Michael Gadinsky. We got onto it through mushroom publishing because mm-hmm. we, we were with mushroom publishing for years. Um, and he has this beautiful, fucking beautiful house in the out in mount macedon mm-hmm. and we they get we got it for free we took a guy and some recording gear up there went to a mansion for two weeks and made a record so it was sick. like we go into this house the only thing we have to do is make a record and have fun and we did that yeah um so that was that sort of set the tone for the the new ones mm. um to go away somewhere and then i thought it was then after protest songs we went overseas the first time we'd been overseas it, it, with the exception of new zealand a couple of times we went to brazil and Japan and America in one trip. Yeah, well, so not an easy thing. <laughs> Very America was a bit of an afterthought. How long were you gone for? Uh, we, were, we were gone for like seven weeks. Yeah. It was mainly Brazil. Brazil was like the catalyst. Wow. Matt had a. He'll tell you that he's part Brazilian, but he's got an uncle who's. It's my <laughs> marriage. It's anyway. He's got relatives that. Have sure. One relative that's a Brazilian. <laughs> anyway, he went over on a holiday. Put Matt to task. Yeah, he went. So he went over there on a holiday and met someone, this guy Leo, who played in a band. Who were like, we just we can only really. It's hard to explain them to people in Australia, but they're basically the Brazilian mind snare, and they're mm-hmm. fucking awesome. Um, and so, um, Matt was like, "How do I get my band over here?" And this guy Leo was like, <coughs> oh, "I'll organise it." So yeah. we did. This. So Brazil was the main one, and then I think it was we, the label who put out um, Damnation had a deal with a, a record label in. Tokyo um, so we did Tokyo on the way there and we yeah. re- released it over there we got I think Tom's the only one that's got a copy of it but we got one of those cool Japanese only CD releases that's 73 and a half minutes of music yeah. like we had all these instrumental songs we had to fill you gotta, you gotta, gotta have extra there. stuff so yeah. it's like it's an album which is a long album anyway plus half the first record plus whatever um, mixed uh, instrumental versions <laughs> of anything we had lying around yeah. we, don't, we don't have a lot of um, stock uh, tracks lying around. We've got yeah. some, uh, some rough mixes of unfinished stuff, but it, it's not anything. It's for the no. bin, you know? Yeah. Um, and it had the cool um, Japanese yeah, the sideways yeah. banner thing on but it. But Tom being maybe his his foresight and his sort of uh, cataloging kind of instincts was like, I'm going to take that one copy because I know in maybe 10 years, someone's going to be like, oh yeah, we had it at- and Tom's I'm, like, we're okay. gonna need that. Tom's got, he's got everything. He's yeah. got everything. Um, uh, and then, yeah, so I, and that tour, that was a big, that was not like touring to Brisbane or Adelaide. <laughs> I, I can imagine. It was, it, it, 
yeah, I think if there were any cracks in the relationships between the three of us, I think for me personally, that trip sort of severed, not severed, severed's a completely the wrong word, but it, it definitely uh, had a bit of an impact on me just because we'd never spent that much time yeah. together. And like America, we were only there for like uh, a week and a half or something like that. Two weeks, no, a week and a half. It wasn't until we got to America. So we were in two foreign, very, very, very foreign countries. Mm. Um, we couldn't really communicate with anyone else except ourselves. Yeah. And by that stage, well, it's this 2007, we'd been in a band. We'd been in a band together for seven years. Like, I haven't got fucking anything to say to anyone in my band after seven yeah. years. Yeah. Like, cool, look at that. Th- I don't, you don't care. I don't care. I can't be bothered. <laughs> so I think that was like a bit of a... I think that was a bit of a... Turning point, I think, for me personally, it was like, oh man, I really want to keep playing music. I don't know how much how I can do it with these guys all the time. I think we're just gonna. I feel like the band's just gonna run itself to the ground. Yeah. Know? And it was after that trip that I um, started basically playing. Started playing with other people. So, yeah. So joined uh, Black Level Embassy mm-hmm. after I got back and started. And it was a bit of a thing amongst, well, particularly with Tom. There was a bit of bit of tension there. Yeah. And um, yeah, but in whatever whatever we did or didn't do the band stayed together and we put out another record in 2009 yeah um recorded in two blocks written and recorded in two blocks similar how to we, how we did the new ones and i absolutely did not think that record was going to come out yeah I just felt i just felt it was getting a bit grim we were <laughs> we, not that we weren't getting along but it was a bit more of a chore for mm. us to do it and myself you know, I'm not saying it was the other guys. It was very much me as well. Yeah. We were just tired and exhausted. And I'm glad the record came out because it's a fucking cracker. Mm. But yeah, after that after that cycle, album release cycle, that was, we just stopped the cycle. Yeah. It wasn't like, hey, let's not do anything for five years. It was like, let's let's just put it in the in the cupboard for a while. Yeah. I don't think we never had a conversation. We were just, we just, just happened. Of, it just happened. Yeah. I started playing in more bands. Tom started Harmony, started mm. doing other things. Um, you know, a few years later, Matt sort of, well, Matt was, he's, at that point, I think he was trying, still trying to pitch a, a feature film. Yeah. And so he was, always had stuff to do. You mm. know? And, you know, obviously years later, a few years later, started high tension and mm-hmm. Tom recorded another record with another band. And yeah. I started joining bands. So it wasn't, and then, you know, if it's so that sort of that's the, the uh, bulk that, of that's that the time. bulk of the the active years we'll call them sure um and then the last few years is just we'll play a gig every now and then um mm. people are like oh it's great you're back together it's like well we didn't quit we didn't stop yeah we just we just didn't do anything well what so what then was the catalyst of making creating two records out of that time oh, of space it's that just um fuck see i had we did that um, little interviews for the sure. uh, making of and I told my similar question I told my version of what how I thought the record came about yeah and then I saw the final cut and I heard Tom's version of it I'm like oh fuck that's the actual <laughs> version I created some whole new reality <coughs> where it was a bit more to do with me yeah but um yeah, well, I guess so. Two thousand two thousand ten, it was on it was on ice from that tour after the Rising Waters tour. I think I was not in a good way personally. It was sort of just I actually, funnily enough, quit all the bands at one point, yeah, including right. Nation Blue. Um, and we did a tour with um, 
I just sort of emailed the guys, massive confessional stream of consciousness kind of thing. It's like, yep. I'm, I'm done, man. I'm not enjoying anything anymore. I'm not enjoying... I'm, anyway, so I quit all these other bands, including Nation Blue. Um, and then in the sort of... We were sort of going through the process of that, like, oh, yeah. And it was really great. We, we sort of got stuff up out in the air and out in the open and had a really good sort of... And I think it was... Bless. I think it was all on email. Like, there was no phone calls. <laughs> No one's got time to call. Um, Very formal way of yeah, talking yeah, yeah. to one another. Um, and then, so it was sort of like, oh, we, we feel like we're sort of on good terms, finalizing the divorce. And then we got offered a tour with um, uh, Death and the Family. Yeah. In This would have been 2010, 2011. And I was like, fuck. Death and Family were like my favorite band. Mm. And I love those guys. And I'm like, I was, oh, this would be great. And then I think we were like, yeah, let's, let's just do it. It'll be fun. I think we've, with all the wounds or anything, it's all out in the open now. With us, we we feel it was like, oh, we actually feel like we're friends again. And yeah, yeah, this will be fun. Let's go do this tour. There's no pressure. All we have to do is play music, and it was one of the most fun things we'd ever done. Mm. And it was like, you know how I emailed and quit the band and <laughs> did all that stuff. It's like, I feel like I'm glad we didn't say anything because that would have. Because <laughs> I think we went into it going, this is our, our this will be our last tour. We're not gonna. This band will just just stop. It yeah. won't. We're not going to be like, hey, we're we're calling it a day. There's no press release. It's just yeah. It it's ends. one of tw- it's, we've, Tom and I have been in this band for half, more like half almost half our lives. Like yeah, it's not. Anyway, so we did that tour and it was really fun. And then something else we got offered something else. And I'm like, oh, yeah, cool. And I was like, maybe we just if we get offered stuff and we want to do it, and it, and the code word being fun. If, it, yeah. if we think it's going to be fun, we're going to do it. If not, we're not going to do it. So we have we've played fuck eight shows in in five or six years yeah it's like if it's not gonna be fun no i can just stay home you know yeah and that sort of became how the band existed in the in the in the in the previous in the most recent years it's just like what do you reckon like no i got i got a high tension tour i got harmonies we were in the studio yeah cool no worries yeah there was no we stopped the cycle there was no pressure anymore there was no expectation there was no real desire to push it Mm. um it's like if, if you're not feeling it then that's no reason to do it. So that's that's sort of why the the, the we'll call them the I don't know the quieter years. Yeah, um, and then, that. but yeah, so we never it was never really a long period of time without seeing each other or without being in a rehearsal room. And it, if um, Tom's version of events is correct, which it is correct, we um, got asked to record a song for Tim Records in Sydney uh, Seven Inch Club. Yeah, and Tim's Tim and Nation Blue go way back, and Tom he's built guitars for tom and fixed uh the guitars for tom and he's a, like an awesome guy and we 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 love him and um it was like whatever yeah would be honored yeah I, I, and it was like are you sure you want your first <laughs> you fucking this? release of your really exclusive new record label that you're starting are you fucking sure you want us to yeah because and, and at this stage it was like we got, we got nothing kicking around we got no songs so we wrote a song, recorded it. Tom recorded it in a rehearsal studio, and um, it sounds like it sounds. It sounds like it's recorded in a rehearsal <laughs> yeah. studio, yep. but it was like pretty fun. And then we just we just enjoyed that environment. It, it was like all the bullshit, all the, the the record labels, the releases, the tours, the booking agents, all that shit had just disappeared, mm. and it was just three people in a rehearsal room making god awful music together and having a really good time yeah so we we, we sort of without even really without it wasn't a, a conscious thing we just we we just went back to basics 
instinctively yeah. and, and and it became fun for us again. And I think because Matt and Tom had then they they'd gone done that recently with Harmony and Powerheads and High Tension, mm-hmm. they'd gone back to basics and started a band from the ground up. So it was like coming back to Nation Blue was like, oh, we've already done all the work. Yeah, yeah. How easy is this? Yeah. All we have to do, all Matt has to do is buy the album on iTunes so he can learn how to play the songs <laughs> and we're good to go, you know? Very good. Um, so then, yeah, one thing led to another. One show offer, uh, well, one accepting a show offer led to an- accepting another show offer, which meant that we were in a rehearsal room a lot more. Sure. We were actually like, hey, let's rehearse for this show rather than, not all of them, but a lot of our rehearsals and um, band stuff is it's a lot of the rehearsals have been on um, email. Yeah. Last few years, like here's a set. What do you reckon? There's the notes. D E A. Cool. <laughs> we don't actually be, get in a room together, but we ended, we found ourselves for whatever reasons we found ourselves in a room together a lot more and um, started jamming. And Matt's like, I got this riff. Tom's got Tom's like, I got like three or four things. Mm. Like fuck, let's just we bumped out three to five super easy super simple songs really quick mm. and going back to what i said before it's like we got them out they were probably shit but what came yeah, next was there. great yeah but being nation blue it was like no 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 we wrote it it's it's done that's a song now that's yeah. on the list that's two that's four songs and if you count those other three ideas that's at least 12 songs you know <laughs> the, the bar the and, one that single record yeah. built up pretty quickly the bar is like aim aim <laughs> low mid to low. Yep. Um and the That's you're where you in, said. you've got yourself a nation blue song. Yep. Um and then yeah, and then at we at one point we we'd gathered enough songs to be <coughs> like, should we go let's go make a recording somewhere? Mm. I was like, Well, this is fucking terrifying. Yeah. Are we actually gonna do this? Yeah. Do we really want to make more music? But at that at early stages of like, let's just record something. Fucking see what happens. Might sound yeah. like shit. Because at that stage, I think Tom was Tom was going to record it, so I was like, "Well, it's going to sound, it's going to sound like it's recording in a rehearsal studio." <laughs> yeah, which is fine, but I don't really want to do that. Mm. Um, well, so you obviously touched on the process of recording and doing stuff with Mike and so in that video. Yeah, but I guess let's talk more about the result of it. Then the result of it, yeah, yeah. So the initial d- thing that you asked me, I I gave you. I love talking about stuff that I know about. And if there's one thing I know about, it's like my band. Yeah, you know? exactly. I'm an expert in nothing except things that... <laughs> Me too. Um, I can talk about The end talking. result. So we... Yeah, you you were basically like, so two albums, how the fuck did that happen? Yeah. It's like, I don't fucking know how that happened. <laughs> it happened like... But now they're here. It happened as like, we dropped... When we dropped all the pressure and all the bullshit, the songs just came out of nowhere. Yeah. Um, we spent very little time putting them together very little afterthought of like eh, no put it in the list we got a, we got another one so we did it we did that over a course of like a two year period and then when we decided that we're going to go make going to record something we had a, a weekend lockout where it was like Tom just been compiling little riffs here and there sending us some stuff we'd been thinking about it I'm like yeah cool I've got an idea for that yeah. so we're all sort of on email yeah we were songwriting on email and then we get in the rehearsal room and then just bash out the ideas and the brief was we sort of had a bit more of a plan where it was like don't overcomplify over complicate it Mm -hmm. first chorus verse double chorus that's that's the arrangement they're not obviously all like that but it it was that simple yeah just like that's a good bit does it need a another bit i don't know maybe i'll go to the right symbol there instead cool done next yeah yeah and it'd be the process Whereas in the past, they'd been long winters of like fucking rehearsing every week, mm. just 
a real grind to get these songs out it just came a little easier because we weren't putting any pressure on it and there was no pressure there was no, no label we weren't even thinking of releasing anything mm. so when you go in with this sort of loose idea but given that we have this history of 15 years of pl- 16 years of playing together whatever it was oh, maths is gone um, we we sort of know how each other operates and we've got a bit of muscle memory there so we yeah. were able to like just bump some stuff up real quick and and then yeah go in and record with Mike we had 16 songs when we went in yeah. I thought we had about 8 apparently we had 16 songs in that first session with Mike and we're like cool that's a record let's see in a year when we you guys finish all the vocals <laughs> and we mix it or whatever yeah um, <coughs> and then yeah and then at some point between that session ending um, Tom wrote and then the next one which was exactly a year later that we went up to record the next one um, Tom and his partner Alex found out they were having a kid mm-hmm. and so Tom sort of tried to push everything we didn't he didn't tell us this initially but he tried to push everything like let's just push it up knock it over now get it up real quick we get the album out middle of the year it was like well I don't know I yeah. feel like that's too soon given yeah. that how relaxed it had been up until that point and then eventually, you know, sort of like, maybe we should record more songs. Like, what well, you want to record more songs? Why? <laughs> Why would you do that? Um, We've already done these. Yeah. And then this is the part of the, the thing I can't remember. At some point he told us he was having a kid. And we're like, oh, mate, what the fuck? You know, one of the, don't fucking worry about the band. Yeah, yeah. Go and be a dad. Jesus Christ. You don't have to like, you know. Yeah. Um, but there was, you know, it turns out it was a lot, that it was, that part wasn't a problem at all. Mm. We fit everything in around that. And then obviously when you, I don't know, I'm not a, I'm not a father, but, and, or a songwriter, but if you're a songwriter who's about to become a dad for the first time, I'm guessing you've got a lot of stuff going on. That yeah. If you've got stuff a guitar you in out. your hand and he came up he came to the next thing with even just as many songs as the first session yeah. we're like holy fuck this is incredible yeah that's sick. and then then we we joked about guns and roses use your illusion 1 and 2 mm. uh, for a while and then it was like fuck i think we're doing two records yeah and and initially it was like we'll do one now we'll do one in a year so mm. or two years we'll just have one in the can we've got all these songs it'd be silly to like release them all now yeah that sounds stupid mm. not, here we are we're not beyonce <laughs> and um yeah that's where we are we're about to release a whole shitload of new music on the same day yeah sick yeah and what's the ongoing plan then with with that is it is the plan still as loose as it's pretty loose see what happens it's pretty loose although as of today we've got a website everything got announced today yeah uh the tour dates supports new video um website web store this isn't um, going up for a while so by that point it's all like, it's all there baby hot, it's hot all live topic, yeah it's all live um yeah so it's still a pretty loose plan yeah. like i think we've we've got we haven't really looked past um summer end of summer so we haven't really looked too much into 2017 yeah it's all very heavy the back end of 2016 right now okay so between now and christmas yep it's pretty intense because yeah, we're old dogs and we haven't we haven't been around the block lately. <laughs> Got to dust off those boots, mate. <laughs> yeah, fucking hell. We had a couple of rehearsals last week. I thought, um, I thought we were in the shit. Yeah. I, we went in going, "This is great." We've been listening to these songs for a year. Yeah. How hard could they be? 
Here's some of the man, honestly, we'd not, we'd barely even played them when we recorded them. Yeah. So it's like, how the fuck are we going to play now? Mm. But um, it's looking, we're in good shape. We got a couple more next week. We're going to be in good shape for the shows. Yeah, awesome. Uh, and we sort of have to be. Yeah. <laughs> you can't Hopefully. do all this work. You can't be a band for twenty years and be sh- and like be shabby. Yeah. If you're putting out new music, you know, especially you gotta, two records. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you got to fucking. You actually got to put the, the effort in now. Yeah. yeah. Sick. Is there any last things you would like to say? Is there anything you would like to spruik? Obviously, your records. Did I, I mention the two new albums? Two new right? albums and the tour. Everything's on a website. Yeah. What is the website? I'm pretty sure it's thenationblue.com. Great. Perfect. <laughs> Otherwise, just Google thenationblue. Or on Facebook or just text me. You probably know me. <laughs> I'll tell you. Yeah. Um, no, I haven't got nothing. Do it up. How does That's how Marin ends his podcast, isn't it? There you go. Yeah, he does. Do you... Um, oh, I meant to say it at the start, but um, I wanted to say it's been a pleasure to be on a new po- podcast, Marin Osborne. <laughs> ah, I'm, that's never happened. Yeah, You're the first thing. Well, I was hoping that, well, I kind of wanted to cry, be the first person to cry on your yep. podcast, but I mean, I mean, I've had so much coffee today, there's no tears. It's not going to happen. But I, at least I got to give you a new nickname, Marin Osborne. Marin Osborne. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much for coming and doing Mate, this. Mate, pleasure. Brutal. <laughs> <laughs>